You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, today we have my favourite tax accountant, Carlo Bordy from Bordy & Associates back in the studio. Mate, thanks for coming in. Yeah, morning. Thanks for having me in. We are talking about a checklist for tax time. I know it's uh, November, but a lot of people still have to get their taxes done. And this should be really a, a checklist for perpetuity. For those people who are property investors and property developers, that when they go and see their tax accountant, whether it's Carl Bordy or anyone else in Western Australia, how they can make your life easier, being prepared with all the information that they need. And i tell you what, if you can give some tips on the podcast today, I'll probably be the first person that needs to listen to it because I am a shit client when it comes to July when I need that tax return done in the first couple of weeks. Well, we'll get your pen ready, mate, and make these notes, all right? <laughs> all right. Let's talk about where does Trent need to sharpen his pencil and, and get things organized? What are the main things you see that uh, your clients just don't recognize? Geez, I have to have these things ready. Oh, look, Trent, it's not just you. It's the majority of people that got rental properties don't really understand the complexity of it. The worst thing is a lot of clients are using an agent in relation to um, managing their properties, which is fantastic. And the agent provides a yearly summary, which is also great, but the agents normally categorize repairs and maintenance into two or three categories. It might be general repairs or plumbing or electrical repairs. And unfortunately, the definitions which is used is not for tax purposes accurate. A lot of the times there are expenses associated with the property which the commission does not allow you an outright deduction and it's subject to depreciation or special building write-off. So at that point, what you're saying there is that we can't just hand you our property manager's annual report and say, this is it. Can you sort it out? Look, nine out of ten times I say to my clients, especially when costs exceed a couple hundred dollars, I normally say to them, can you please provide me the receipts, what this relates to? And then we look at it. And unfortunately, most people are the impression that if a cost is $300 or less, it's deductible, and that's correct. But if it's subject to special billing write-off, the commissioner requires it to be depreciated. And an example of that is um, if you have a flick mix in a house, well, a flick mix might cost you, I don't know, maybe $100 to buy a flick mix and maybe 100 bucks to get it installed, 200 bucks plus GST, $220, well under $300, but it's not entitled to be claimed depreciated. And you've got a special billing write-off that item. Does the ATO care about this? Are we going to be audited is probably a tough question to ask at the start of this, this episode, especially to an accountant who wants it to be correct because that's their job, that's their fiduciary responsibility. But how much of the stuff at this level do the ATO really, are they bothered by it? Or is it more like if you get caught, that's the problem? Well, it's a combination of two things. One, if you even get scrutinized and you get audited, the time and effort and stress associated with that is substantial. Mm. And you might be squeaky clean. So first of all, you don't want to highlight things that don't have to be highlighted. For example, one of the categories the ATO does look at is the size of your repairs and maintenance. So if we can take stuff out of repairs and maintenance and allocate it to a more correct category, for example, um, we've got uh, some, some agents that put garden maintenance under repairs and maintenance, um, which clearly is not the case. Obviously, there's assets that get depreciated that come out of the repairs and maintenance. So that repairs and maintenance category is like a, a trigger to the tax department. And if you've got a high cost there, then the trigger's going to go off and they're going to audit you. Now, there's been a fair few instances where, because through our practice we do so many rental properties, we've been looked at on a number of occasions. And those occasions are normally where a person spent five, six, ten thousand dollars in painting their house. Mm. Completely legitimate deduction. As soon as the ATO then 
acknowledges that that's what it relates to, then they concede, but that's the sort of things they look for. They look for these triggers. Okay, so the first one is make sure that when you're pulling through receipts or property management statements for uh, repairs and maintenance, that they are separated into the most basic source level receipt you can find. Second one, what else? What, what would be the next thing we can bring you with? Because of our new legislation in relation to vacant land rules, uh, which is another session which we've covered, the ATO are also concerned how many weeks is the property available for rent compared to how many weeks have you rented it for? So what they're looking at there is also statistics to determine, well, is everything here deductible? So in other words, if you claimed interest last year of uh, $20,000 and you rented it for the full year, and this year you're claiming interest of, again, nineteen dollars or $20,000, similar amount, and you probably only been rented for half the year, well, the ATO could come back and say, well, hang on, um, is this subject to the vacant land legislation? Uh, did you build this property? If the answer is yes, and the property wasn't available for rent, then it's not deductible. If it was available and you simply couldn't get a tenant, well, then it remains deductible and it's a different story. So they've got these key triggers now that they're looking at. Okay. To, uh, all, all the big data, all that, all the algorithms that go in there, it's obviously not human beings checking these things. It's, it's all, it, I guess it's where they see their peaks come up on certain buckets. That's where they'll have a human come in and check it further and, and look for to make that discretionary decision. Okay, third point. What's the next uh, piece of information we'd have to bring you? Bank statements on interest would be one of them. Well, look, we normally like that because what happens is a lot of people don't realise that uh, if you draw down on that loan for anything that doesn't relate to the property, that percentage of the loan is no longer deductible and will remain not deductible as a percentage moving forward. So we like to scrutinise it just to make sure that it's all clean and make sure there's no issues moving forward. I'm sure a lot of people come to you, I think I've done it in the past, where I've come to you with my bank statements and and it's been principal and interest, but obviously it's only the interest amount that's deductible. Assuming that all the loan is deductible, correct. A lot of people think that the repayments are the deductible component and the banks lately have been forcing people to go from interest-only loans to principal and interest, and that's one of the key indicators. It's not what you've paid, but the interest you've incurred. And you have to ask the bank for a special statement there to actually tell you what that amount is for the year because generally they're not giving you that amount. No, no. A lot of banks aren't forthcoming. Some of them are. And that's why, look, go back to the original source. It takes literally 30 seconds to review, and then you've got the comfort that it's going to be done correctly. What about rates? One thing I know that you've caught me on before is that I have told you when I've paid rates this year, but it's not about when I paid them, is it? It's about when I incurred the expense, which might have been in the year prior or the year after, even though I paid it this year. When you're dealing with land... The commissioner is always going to get you. So if you somehow don't pay your rates and taxes for five, six, ten years, upon either transferring that property, then an adjustment will be made to your to your proceeds and the council will get their money. So in relation to council and water rates, etc., those costs are pretty much deductible as incurred and due and payable, uh, irrespective of whether you have or haven't paid them. So, so how many do we need of each? Well, in relation to council rates, they normally issue one notice but then you've got a choice of either paying it in WA, either on a one hit with a discount, paying two or paying four. Now, normally, the document which is originally supplied has got all that information on there. So don't so, get rid of it. So that's an important document, yes, <laughs> most definitely. And all those receipts are supposed to give for a number of years to, to support your, your tax return as well. The one that we find mostly is, is water rates. I mean, they've now got a, a six-payment system per Very year. Very sneaky. They've gone uh, from six, four to six, but they're still charging the same amount each time. 
So they've, they've somehow been able to hoodwink us into paying 50% more for our water rates, even though we're not really noticing it. On our side, what we look at is, have you got six payments? Because that's what you're supposed to be claiming as a deduction. And the other important thing there is a lot of landlords, for whatever reason, might pay the water consumption on the property. And unless there's a good reason, normally that consumption, unless it's recouped from the tenant, is actually non-deductible. So you've got to be careful of that. What about land tax? Well, well land tax... Is, is an interesting little beast, which obviously the more properties you have, uh, if it accumulates over a certain value, then you could charge this tax. I just got my land tax bill. It's bigger than my first annual salary. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know how they get away with it. Well, the other problem that arises there is that a lot of people get a bill, and the bill, whatever it might be, whether it's $500 or $20,000, there's actually an incentive to pay it early because it's a discount. So what happens is when you get your bill... If you pay it promptly on the one payment, you pay the lump sum. But when you turn the notice over at the back, and if you've got multiple properties, when they dissect the cost of that land tax, they actually allocate it as if you haven't paid it on time. So as accountants, what we've got to do is we've got to look at how much did you actually pay and then dissect that as a percentage per property allowing for the discount component. And that's where a lot of clients get that wrong when they do their own returns. Mm. They just turn the page and say, yep, okay, this property is $1,000, that one's $2,000, but in total I only paid 2800 for the whole year. So how can you claim a $3,000 deduction? What about depreciation? We've spoken about that before and you have informed us before of the, I guess, the poison chalice of depreciation in that everyone thinks it's free money, but what most people don't realize is that it reduces your cost base and therefore increases your capital gains bill once you sell that property in the future. Is that something that you still recommend people claim as an expense if they can every year? Well, it's a double-edged sword here because what happens is the commissioner says that you are supposed to claim it and technically legislation says that the commissioner, if you choose not to claim it, can still put it as a notional calculation. The so you're saying is, we shouldn't even bother paying for one because the HO is going to give it to us anyway? No, if you don't claim it, the HO will still reduce your cost base by the amount you should have claimed. <laughs> yeah, but they won't give you the money back. Uh, if it's longer than two <laughs> okay. and a half, if it's longer than two and a half years, that you haven't made the amendment. Yeah. Correct. Wow. Yeah, but more importantly, and let's use this as an example for for the layperson. Um, let's say a person buys a property for for four hundred thousand dollars, and let's say that they keep this property for ten years, and every year that they're claiming um, a five thousand dollar depreciation and special building write-off on the property. So over the 10 years, they've claimed $50,000. So what the commissioner then says is, okay, the property costs you four hundred, but hang on, we, we've already decreased the cost of this property by 50000 so the property really costs you three fifty. So when you turn around and sell that property for three eighty, you in your mind you're saying, hang on, I bought it for four hundred, I sold it for three eighty, I lost money on this. And, and technically you have, but for tax purposes... You've got a capital gain because you a thirty thousand dollar capital gain. Well, basically your cost base is three fifty now, and you're selling it for three. You've got three eighty after all your fees. You made a gain of three thirty thousand dollars. Correct. So most likely there will be a thirty thousand dollar capital gain with a fifty percent discount. So fifteen thousand dollars will be added to your taxable income that year. If you had it for twelve months, yes, under the example, yes. But also, if you haven't drawn your lo- if you haven't reduced your loan, not only do you have to find money to pay your tax, you've also got a carried forward loan possibly yeah. if you haven't uh, reduced it with principal interest. Yeah, and that is the crazy thing that you can end up, if you sell your property for less than you bought it for, uh, if you have been depreciating it, you can end up being out of pocket and still having to pay capital gains. More to the point, if you buy property for the same price you bought it for, you'll still have that situation if you claim these items. Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy. What other things should we be bringing? Look, the other thing which a lot of people question is, Oh, I've I've gone to Bunnings and I've bought a, a lawnmower and I bought some trimmers and I bought some stuff because I've gone there and I've cut the lawn, I've, I've I've pruned the plants, and basically if that equipment 
doesn't remain on site on the property and you simply take it home, well, that's not going to be deductible to you because they're deemed a personal use on it. So if you're going to buy something and it's going to be solely for the property, well, then it has to remain as an asset of the property and then either claims as a deduction or depreciated and, uh, and you can move forward with that. Do you have clients that are still coming to you trying to claim travel expenses for their property investments? Um, a lot of people that, uh, that we haven't seen before, some of them are not familiar with that legislation, but the ATO jump on that straight away. We actually had a situation where we had incorrectly categorised a cost. Instead of water rates, it was still put under travel. It was just a, a typing uh, misallocation. And we got the phone call, and straight away we just said to them, if you look at it, there's no water rates being claimed, it's been misallocated, they accepted that straight away because it's a logical... Yeah, but obviously they were straight oh, they, on they, it. they jumped on it straight away, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Well, why would they have it as an option in their boxes these days anyway? If you're no, not good question. For it? I mean, the commissioner does say if you're in the business of having rental properties, then you can claim your travel. And that mainly relates to commercial properties. But there are some instances where if you have multiple properties, like in a complex where you've got a person at the front desk that runs it, that books people in for you, um, well, then that's if you have more than one of those, it can be deemed to be a business. If it's your actual business, yeah, and not yeah. a profit-making scheme as a mum and dad investor. Well, more importantly, for the average person, it's more like it's not just a basic rental property. It's in a complex which has got a front desk and, and they do all the laundry and they, they, they book in the people Which is probably zero you. people listening to this podcast. Oh, minimal, minimal. Yeah. I, mean, um, I mean, we do a lot of these returns and I'll have a handful of those clients. Yeah. Yeah. Any last reminders for people if they come in to speak to their accountant, what they need to be bringing in to make sure it's one fell swoop? The easiest way to get a grasp of what you need is potentially look at your last year's tax return. There's actually a rental schedule in there, which gives you a lot of the different categories. Make sure you've got your interest. Make sure you've got your insurance. Make sure you've got your receipts to support what you've claimed. And that's a good checklist by using last year's tax return as to what you're going to need. The other thing with insurance is, a lot of people, for whatever reason, pay it on a monthly basis. Now, it's, it's very, very rare that your first premium starts in the month of July and runs through to June. So if you're paying monthly, sometimes you actually got to bring in two periods worth of receipts. For example, um, if you started uh, uh, paying your insurance in May of 19, that's going to overlap into your 20 tax return. So you're going to have to bring that receipt in and your new one, which starts from May and June of the 20 period. What this leads me to think is, is really, if you've got a good accountant, stick with them because they'll have all those source documents, won't they, from the year before and they'll, they'll have your schedules and they'll be able to match them up to make your life a bit easier over the course of the years and decades that you're working with them. Well, I think what also happens is once you get in tune with your accountant and you understand what he requires from you, you get a better understanding maybe in that second year what's, what's needed and uh, can move forward with that. Carlo, thanks a lot for this, mate. I think this has helped me probably just as much as it's helped anyone else listening for this. Last question, what would be the best time from your side of the fence for a client to come to you and say, can you please do my tax return? If I wanted to get it done quick and I wanted, wanted to have your full attention, when are you free enough to be able to take me in as a new client? A lot of people are under the impression that if they owe tax, they come in late. Instead, I'd rather use a different approach. I'd rather tell a client, look, as agents, we get extensions in your lodgement of your returns. Come in early. Do it as quick as you can. If you're getting a refund, you get your money back. If you owe money, 
you're going to know what you're going to owe the tax department and at least you've then got potentially 11 months up your sleeve if you come in in July to, to know where you stand and put that money aside if it's going to cause you some sort of cash flow grief. And that's what I've done as a self-employed person running a strategic property group. As much as I knew I would have a tax liability because I run a business, uh, the quicker I found out what that liability was, the quicker I could plan, it, plan for it and know what I'll be paying in May next year. But not only that, a lot of people are either refinancing or they're looking at new loans, and you can't. They need that. They need those sort yeah, of financials. Yeah, they need that. Yeah. They need that that lodged return to have their assessment notice to support their claims because banks are becoming very, very picky on what they will do, and they need that to support your income. It's a great point, Carlo. Thanks a lot for this, mate. It's great to have you in again. Uh, I think uh, we'll have you in one more time uh, very soon to chat about some even more in-depth nerdy stuff on tax. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!